We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company coming at you Thursday afternoon. It's December 21st. We're going to sneak in an episode here before the Wolves uh, play the Lakers on on Thursday night. Obviously a back-to-back here. We still want to get a Brit episode in. Uh, Brit, amongst other things, I want to talk about the Miami game and stuff too, but what's most fresh uh, on our mind is the Wednesday night loss to the Sixers dropped the wolves to, to 20 and six. And I think the, the place to start with that game because it has so many spider webs off of it is just with Joel Embiid and the 51 points uh, that he had in that game, multiple factors right behind those 51 points the way he was defended, the way he was officiated, and then just also just acknowledged really good. You know, one of, one of if not the best players uh, in the league there, I think it was all three factors. But judging from your Twitter feed uh, last night, it seemed that you put a lot of emphasis on, on one of those three factors. So um, I know actually sometimes like I tweet something and it's not, it's just something that was on my mind. It might not actually be, uh, my entire thought on it, but you were pretty, you were pretty peeved about well, the officials. I, you know, we we talked yesterday before yeah. the game just about yeah. you know you were already we're pissed. You were and already I, pissed I, about I, how Embiid Joel Embiid brings out the worst in me. Uh, yes, seriously, uh, I am offended by the inconsistency of how he is officiated. Um, I don't understand, and it, it isn't just last night. I mean, this every team in the NBA practically goes through this, where Embiid will use his seven foot, two hundred and eighty pound frame to hammer guys who weigh fifty pounds at minimum less, and yet if those same players brush his wrist in the middle of him going up, that's a foul. Yeah. Uh, the replays on the drives of McDaniels and Ant showed contact, hard contact. Yeah. No whistles. Ant got an immediate T out of one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Appropriately so. Um, 
the fouls that Embiid was drawing, Embiid did not receive as much physical punishment in that game as any member of the Wolves starting lineup. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah. And so, well, it, it, there's, uh, and there's so different... okay, go ahead. Keep going. Keep so going. what you're doing there is um, yes, he know, he is extremely adept at coaxing fouls. But what I would ask is when Kevin Durant became extremely adept at the rip through move, people began to realize, hey, wait a minute, you know, yeah, he can do that all the time, and D'Lo can do that all the time, and these people can do that all the time, but is that really what we want? Mm -hmm. And so what they did is they said, well, from now on, it's not a shooting foul. You just take it over on the sideline. Embiid does a subtle version of the rip-through foul. He comes up straight instead of to the side, So, but his arms are long enough, and he sells it well enough that fouls that are not intended to be direct counters to the way he is he is going to the hoop get whistled as shooting fouls, and he goes to the free throw line. Jim Pete had a great stat during the game. The Sixers are 14th in the league in the number of fouls that are called in their play. They're first in free throws. That's because... They know how to gull officials and opponents into cheap shooting fouls. And I think it sucks. I, I don't like watching that kind of game. And it made a difference last night in that Gobert went to the bench. Rudy Gobert, when the Wolves were on the floor, had a 106 defensive rating. Uh, when Nas Reed was on the floor, it was 166. You know, I mean, seriously, it was, it was, it made a difference. And well, let, if, let, let's hold on. And let, if Embiid had okay. been in foul trouble, he got five fouls. Yeah. Okay. What if the uh, the one on McDaniel's and the one on Ant? Yeah. All of a sudden, McDeed's. I mean, Embiid's in foul trouble. For what sure. What kind of impact does that have on the game? Yeah. No, I. I so I, I wasn't trying to cut you off because I don't think that that is relevant. I just think it's like these are a couple different things, right? That right. What sure. we need to talk about. Um, I, I actually, I, I just thought you were going to get on and get pissed, uh, about it. And that was really like, well put, you know, that, that I hadn't even thought about the exact mechanics of the rip through and the changes that they've made in this. And yeah, that was particularly the Gobert and Towns one when like Embiid's at like 13 feet, like just in front of the nail, he's, I mean, he must've got two or three or four of those, uh, last night. I it's, it's it's a tricky thing, right? Because the, the thing we can probably all agree on is aesthetically it's not fun, right? Like mm -hmm, right. It, this takes away, it's the, you know, similar to, to James Harden or whatever uh, in, in the peak Houston days. It is a rule though. And it happens every game. <laughs> like, mm -hmm, right, right. This, you know, I was right before that game, I watched the Sixers previous game uh, against the Bulls and this is, it was the same story. Uh, so it becomes about a couple, like it becomes about a couple different things. It's like, can we be frustrated in the way in which he's being officiated? A hundred percent is bad. A, a, a change needs to happen. Change isn't going to happen, you know, this season. 
it's it's not going to happen if the Wolves or whoever like, whoever the Sixers play in the next game, and B's going to play the play the same way. And it, it it you just need to like operate under those restraints, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important like to acknowledge that totally those are total fouls on McDaniel's and Ant, and it would have would have changed the fabric of that game if Embiid would have been in foul trouble too. And quite frankly, as I'm like sitting there after the game, I'm like, damn, like Embiid, he got to the line doing all of his stuff. He made all, he was lethal from mid range when he wasn't getting fouled. It's like, what are the answers here? You know? And, and I want to talk about like some of the ways he was defended and Gobert versus Reed versus Towns and all that too. But probably the best thing that could have happened was him getting in foul trouble. That's probably the best thing any team can do against right. him. Right. Is is go at him as the as McDaniels did, which props, I mean, McDaniels went hard at him. Obviously, Ant went as hard at him as anyone maybe ever has on that dunk attempt that didn't get called. So I think that was I think that was smart. And and I think that's the should probably be the most frustrating element of that game is that those fouls on Embiid weren't called. And personally, less so, in my opinion, is less so frustration with the fouls that Embiid created because he those happen every single game. Mm-hmm. And while I disagree that that's the way that the game should be played, it's the way the game is played right now. And I, I don't I don't know what more we can, you know, you could really say or or do about it. It's 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 well, a path a, that he's found. A couple of things. Yeah. Um, First of all, when he plays the Bulls and Vucevic gets in foul trouble, mm-hmm. it's a very different thing than if Gobert gets in foul trouble. Yeah. Okay, so the idea of the guy guarding Embiid, now maybe what the answer to that is you have Cat on Embiid, as you have done previously, guys like mm-hmm. Jokic, and have Gobert be more of a floater. Um, because Cat actually had his head on straighter than any other player on the Wolves last night and and played extremely well, both in terms of not being intimidated by Embiid's physicality, but also not being intimidated by Embiid's foul-drawing tendencies. Um, So having that kind of attitude and acknowledging the fact that the way Embiid plays can be especially injurious Mm-hmm. to a Wolves team that has Rudy Gobert as its defensive anchor is one thing. Another thing I would mention is just consistent refereeing is really, if if you're going to call touch fouls on Embiid, and they are technically fouls, a lot of them, if not yeah. all of them, uh, then it just needs to be officiated the same way the other way and then let the chips fall where they may. Can and I ask the, you a question off sure. of that? Yeah. So again, and I'm I am by no means saying that the ant and Jaden and a couple other ones weren't fouls. I think those were missed. Right. But they are a different type of foul. Like Embiid didn't have a lot of like head downhill rumbling fouls drawn last night, which is right. the type of fouls that Ant and Jaden were trying to get there, right? The downhill right. attacks fouled at the rim. Yes. That's a different type of foul call than the mid-range one, right? And, and so that's what I, you know, and I, during the commercials on check and Twitter or whatever, it's like, why aren't they being called on the other end? They should be, but I think it's somewhat important to point out that those are very different types of fouls. And I don't think 
mechanically Ant and Jaden were hunting fouls the right. way that Embiid was. And it's bad to hunt fouls. That, that takes away from the game completely. But to me, not to excuse it, but there's a little bit of apples and oranges there, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, but the question is, um, to follow that analogy, which is the juicier fruit? Yeah. Let's say, you know, I mean, and if, if you're saying, well, they want to uh, remove the juice, well, therefore, you remove the orange. You don't remove the apple. I mean, so if you want to prevent the game from getting too physical and out of hand, you remove the hard foul at the rim. You don't remove the touch foul yeah. at the mid-range. Great That's point. one thing. The other thing is, and this isn't my idea. This is something that I saw on Twitter last night. And, you know, I haven't maybe thought of it in the past, but it was re refreshed in my mind. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Sixers don't, and Embiid in particular, don't perform well in the playoffs when referees swallow their whistles more often mm -hmm. because he's become so reliant on it. And, that you know, again, aesthetically, I'll just get back to the reason why he brings out the worst in me is because he could be a bully and instead he wants to be a victim. Mm -hmm. He knows that victimization is a surer way to get what he needs, at least in the regular and, season. And that's the problem. The NBA and the way they're officiating is making that, the, the victim mentality, more profitable than the bully mentality. Exactly. Two things that Embiid, because he's one of, if not the best player in the league, could be great at, you know? Right. Um, and so, yeah, okay. We, we did that. I, I think an interesting element, I, I was just really going into the game pre-fouls, pre-whatever, Right. I was just curious. You kind of have to prepare yourself. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. You know, to watch the Sixers, you have to know, mm -hmm. you know, don't get too upset, you know? Yeah. I was just curious to see how they were going to guard him, you know? Uh -huh. Right. And and then and just how it played out, like, uh, earlier this week when we were, we were talking about that matchup, I was like, well, I don't think it's – you can't do the Jokic thing. Um, no, because not really. Although, you know, slow-mo, actually, I, I made the case for slow-mo during the game – the problem is the slow-mo is so horrible on offense right now that you <laughs> yeah. can't really yeah. – I mean, the differential, he's never been better in terms of defensive effectiveness on this team. He's a Swiss Army knife on defense now. The I thought he was the preferred worse. matchup for Butler and the preferred matchup for Embiid. I mean, yeah. that's ridiculous. They went with Embiid on him, and I kind of expected – or sorry, with Gobert on Embiid right, um, right. because it didn't – you know, it didn't seem like going into it that uh, that there was a matchup for Gobert to hide off of because right. Batum has typically been starting at the four, right? So I was like, I don't think they're going to do that because they're not going to leave Batum open. So I think they're going to guard Embiid straight up with Gobert, and and they did, uh, even without Batum. Even when even without Batum, but you know, you're kind of like making. I, I wonder, you know, if it's a playoff series, right? If Batum literally got hurt 24 hours before the game, right. happened, you know, so how much could you even, you know, prepare for all of that? But regardless, what if they go, the plan is clearly we are trusting our defensive player of the year this this season to do as good of a job as he can um, on Embiid. And, you know, if he gets in some foul trouble, we're going to have to get away with some minutes with Carl's on him, maybe Nas is on him, whatever. The thing that 
that very first offensive possession for the Wolves, Gobert picks up an offensive foul when they're trying to, after they try to feed him on a duck in under the basket, which I just don't understand why that's a big right. part of the offense, particularly first possession of the game offense. Agreed. Um, but he picks up that offensive foul. And and I go right away at my notes. I'm like, that's one, you know. And now you've got the whole re- – I know Embiid plays – he's going to play the whole quarter. So you're like, all right, 11 minutes. Can Rudy play these next uh, – or how many of these next 11 minutes can Rudy play yep. without, without picking up the second one? About another minute 40 goes by, he picks up a defensive one on Embiid, which is like it's about as fast as it goes, you know. Right. And then that just – right then and there, it shifts – like it shifts your plan, you know, right. and you need to survive with with Carl on him here when it's a you know it's a smaller group. Now Nas checks in checks in for him, and the proposition of extended minutes in a game rather than five to eight or whatever within Carl on Embiid is different, you know. And to Embiid's credit, like that turned the light bulb on in his head where he's like, "All right, I already got one of them out of here. Now I have the easier option." guarding me one-on-one, you know, I'm going to score now or I'm going to get two on him. And it gets even easier after that, which happened a couple minutes later, Carl picks up two, he has to go to the bench. And now Nas is on him. Like Embiid is hunting this stuff in a kind of gross way, but it's like pretty logical and effective in, in, in how it's like, it just, Made all the more effective by the fact that he hit 12 of his first 13 mid-ranges. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, I mean, if you're going to be Kevin Durant out there, Mm. then it's even tougher because you can't leave him alone. That I mean, the the alternative is, all right, just don't get in his space. Mm -hmm. Let him take the shot. Well, we see what happens. I mean, 12 for 13 is the equivalent of 85, 90% free throw shooting. Anyway, the only difference is you don't have the fouls on you, but the mm-hmm. efficiency of the points is the same. Right. And, and, and I don't mean to change the subject abruptly, but I know we're concentrating on Embiid and how he's defended and all this other stuff. To me, the key to the game was that, especially in the second half, the Wolves bench just got schooled with Embiid on the bench. Let's, uh, I want to talk about that. Let me, uh, that's going to be a, a 10 minute topic. So let me grab our, okay. uh, our, our first break here. Uh, today's show is brought to you uh, by, by Falling Knife Brewing Company. Uh, we have a Wolves game tonight uh, against the Lakers. And, uh, and then also on Saturday, the, the Wolves play the Kings. Those are uh, options, obviously, for getting out, you know. Uh, maybe families in town, whatever you want to go watch the Wolves, go watch it at uh, Falling Knife, big screens, sound on. Um, it's, I think, the place to be watching these games. But also, um, we we did this uh, at this time last year, promoted Falling Knife's New Year's early uh, party that they do. It's uh, all you can eat, all you can drink on New Year's Eve for $85. Mm. The kind of cool idea with it is it's early. Um, they do the ball drop and the whatever at 8 p.m. So it's 6 to 10 p.m. Um, the, the idea is, you know, get a quick, uh, a cheap. Get your drink. drunk ass off the road. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, get home, uh, be home by 10 or whatever. So um, I know a lot of uh, Wolves fans or people who listen to this show uh, attended that last year, wanted to put that on your radar. Um, if you go to just, uh, if you do have Instagram, just a good idea. If you are thinking about 
find I follow them on Instagram at FKBC. And if you do that there, they have a link uh, in their bio to to sign up for this New Year's early party uh, at Falling Knife. Again, uh, recommend. I think it just kind of sounds like a, a good idea. If you are good, it's more fun to go out for New Year's Eve, but it gets really unfun later. So I think this is a, a good way uh, to, to go about it. So Falling Knife Brewing Company in Northeast Minneapolis. Check that out for New Year's early. They have they have a new beer called Idle Disposition. It okay. tastes like a pine cone. I mean, if is that like, a positive thing, Brent? We're doing. I think a- it is. Well, for me, it is. You know, I mean, for uh, I mean, I guess they have like Idaho Seven hops or something. I mean, I'm not a real technical guy. All I know is that uh, they, there are pine trees around the can, and it is a okay. definite pine aftertaste in the beer. And I would say five out of six sips, I really, really like it. Every six <laughs> sip or so, I go, eh, maybe that's a little too much pine. Yeah. But it's unique, and I like pine in my beer. You know, I like that that kind of uh, – it's a combination of wet, wet and dry at the same time. Okay. And uh, anyway, it's uh, – I don't know if, you know, I found it uh, uh, in – South Minneapolis, I'm sure, you know, wherever it, it is. I, I think no, that, that's a good plug. They they are like in, I mean, they're in every like liquor store that, that I'm going to when I'm looking at the craft beer section or honestly, it would just when like we go out to eat, I'm seeing Falling Knife on the, the tap list there too. So yeah, that's just a way to kind of try. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, th- I found it, you know, I mean, verbal tip is usually my thing, but yeah, uh, me too. I, I figured, what the heck, I'd try this idle disposition as well. And it was wintry. It was surprisingly good. It was very good. Um, okay, let's, uh, I, I think it was wise to bring up the non-Embiid minutes. That uh, has been the weakness of, of Philly this season is when Embiid is is off the floor. The, the Sixers have been bad this year. And in this game, he played uh, 36 minutes. They were a plus four. In, they won those 36 minutes by only four points. And in the 12 minutes he sat, uh, the Sixers won by 12. And I don't think that was really a product of like garbage time because I remember writing that down in the first half too. Um, that's something that any team needs to do to capitalize uh, against the, the Sixers team. And I also think part of why the Wolves didn't was a product of the foul trouble. You know, mm-hmm. right. if, right. you know what I'm saying? Like if they get, yeah. if, if Embiid gets some of the best players in foul trouble, those players aren't going to be in cat Rudy, whatever uh, for, for the non impede minutes, they needed uh, others to step up in those minutes and not only play those, even they needed to win those. They needed to win those, you know, if MB going to have 51, you got to win the non impede minutes by 10 and they lost. Right. Right. Um, well, so I thought that was a huge factor. Nas was minus the wolves were minus 27 in the 20 minutes. Nas was on the floor. Yeah. Uh, they were minus 10 in the 1240 slow mos on the floor. Um, they were, uh, I don't know what Nas, uh, plus minus was, but I know his net rating was minus 63, five. <laughs> I mean, so, and, 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 and I think to be honest with you, yeah, minus, uh, minus 24 and 15 and a half minutes. For okay. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Pat Bev had a very good game playing against Nas a lot of it. And that Pat Bev is a guy who he needs to motivate himself in various ways. He needs to garner attention and basically be 
the star of his own show whenever that show was playing <laughs> and playing against the Timberwolves, um, I think was uh, extra motivation for him. And he played extremely well. He, he did a lot of things at both ends of the floor that were very helpful. And I thought he was helpful when Embiid was off the floor. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, I, I think that, uh, it was not one of Nas' better games. It was not one of Nas's better games. And those two guys have been killing yeah. it. They have been great yeah. for the past 10 days. And so that really hurts this team when both Nas and Nas have a bad game at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had egregiously bad games. They they were, you know, they just got wiped. Yeah. I, I want to focus on the, the Nas part a little bit because – I mean, like, yeah, some know, of that was obviously Embiid. He was on the yeah. floor guarding Embiid, right? Well, what, what stood out to me right away is again, uh, Gobert picks up his second foul in like two minutes and 40 seconds into the game or something like that. And so Nas comes in, right? And and so I'm thinking, okay, like, Cat's obviously, you know, going to guard Embiid. And that, that you know, that's what I'm thinking of at first. And Nas, then they get to Tobias, Tobias Harris, right? Yeah. And then I was surprised when the Wolves got onto offense that Embiid didn't guard Cat, and they kept Harris on Cat, and then they had Embiid, quote-unquote, on Nas. But that's the most ignored I've ever seen Nas beat. And right. and it was – I was kind of – I saw it in the very first possession. I paused it. I'm like, okay, well, this, like, we know Nas, Nas takes – if he's open, he's going to take a three. And and I was like, okay, well, this could be this could be a game breaker. Like, get the game back to even. Right, same way with the Jade McDaniel's punished ignorance. Exactly, um, and and yeah. I want to get to that too. But that that was the thing is Embiid was doing the lurk. He was treating Nas Reed the way Rudy Gobert treats Aaron Gordon, and Nas missed three threes in the first couple minutes he was on the floor. And I thought that that you know that that really set a bad tone for the non Gobert minutes, right? Right. Right. And uh, I just think that's you know that that's super important to be able to punish that if, or, or any team, right? If, if, right? if somebody isn't being guarded legitimately, you need to be able to punish that. And the thing with Nas versus Kyle Anderson right. is he can, you know, that's his bread and butter. Right. And, and it wasn't. And that, that really, I think disrupted things offensively um, for this team in, in that game last night. But to your point with McDaniels, the Wolves just about made up for all of the deficit in the first half by Jaden having 19 and Cat having 16. They right. decided, you know, those were the two players outside of Nas in that situation that were being kind of dared, you know? They were like, okay, Cat, like, go see what you can do against, you know, Tobias Harris and largely single coverage, maybe some lurking help, obviously the Embiid lurking help. They're like, what? let's see what Cat can do here. You know, and Cat had 16 in the first half. He was great. Right. Uh, and then J- Jaden was even greater. He like, he's the classic, like, and I took that personal, you know, when right, they right. When, like that one time I, I, I was thinking about that last night, that one game where they tried to hide Trey young on oh, Jaden yeah. McDaniels and Jaden had literally like 10 points in the first four minutes of the game. Cause right. he's like, I can play offense too, particularly if you're going to guard me with the six right. foot nothing guy. And to Jaden's credit, he did that against Tyrese Maxey. Um, in in the first half and and had the 19 there so it wasn't like 
you know, it was, it was really flashbulb. The Embiid fouls, Nas is missing those shots. Everything is kind of a little dysregulated. But credit to Cat and McDaniels, who I thought played really well and took, like the classic, took what the, the defense gave. Right, and, and they were down four after one, down four at the half, and down three at the end of three quarters. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, despite some fluctuations within those quarters, including an 11-0 Wolves run to start that third quarter, right around the third quarter, that was their best ball of the night. But I do think, or I guess it was in the second quarter, but whenever it was, I am perplexed by the Jekyll and Hyde of McDaniel's game last night. In the first half, not only did he get 19 points, but he saw something on the film about the way the Sixers screen he jumped at least two screens. One of them led to just totally a turnover on Maxi, just bottling him up. Another one was just a straight out steal. Mm-hmm. And um, I he did a little just... seatbelt celebration after one. <laughs> did you see that? Yeah. Uh. I was beginning to think that um, you know he he had figured something out in general. Whereas I'm I'm now in retrospect thinking that it was just a tendency of the way Philly sometimes set screens that somebody saw on the tape, maybe Jaden himself, maybe a assistant coach or whatever, but he was anticipating and preempting screens in a manner that really gave this team a, a big chance to win that game. Yeah. And then in the second half, Maxie was just too quick. He blitzed him. Yeah. And, dude, and he's fast. I he mean, he is very fast, but at the same time, I mean, Jaden has those guys, you know, and something is up there. Um, he had yeah. two, point, two points and, and something's a rough, up. A rough defensive second half. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've been thinking about that too. Like, that's the one player on the Wolves this year who you're like, you know, hasn't met expectations thus far. But right. I, I go to, I mean, the, the bar is high, but he has not met them. Yeah. And, and like, we can kind of adjust the bar somewhat with the, he had the calf in training camp. He rolled the ankle, missed 10 games or whatever. Sacral contusion. Yeah. Tailbone, it's called tailbone, whatever. Um, hurt that. So I've been, I don't know, maybe that's me being a little glass half full. I've just kind of been like, you know, he's just hasn't been able to catch a rhythm due to defense and, and, or due to the injuries. And, right. and I think, I think I still hold that. I think Jaden is a great defender, but the hardest people for him to guard, I think, probably are the Tyrese Maxies and the De'Aaron Foxes, and and just that that speed. I mean, there was, I don't know, like you say, three or four layups of Maxi at the rim where Jaden is just like six inches away from blocking it. Yep, and not because he was like a step slow, mostly because Maxi was a step uh, fast, a step fast. And and again, it's kind of like the, you know, are we? Do we blame the Wolves for the Embiid foul trouble? Or do we look at the pattern of Embiid does this every game? And Maxi has pretty much been doing this every game to Jaden McDaniels level defenders and worse, you know, right, throughout right. the league. So it couldn't have been that what I was after the game, I was like, it just couldn't be Embiid 51 and Maxi 35. You know, you, mm-hmm. you maybe could have lived with the Embiid 51 
if it was just if Maxi had eighteen, right? Yeah, which was if I'm remembering correctly, I think that they lost that Chicago game, uh, their, yeah. their previous one, because it was just all in beat. And Chicago beat the Lakers. I don't know what's up with the Bulls right now. I well, so you know, my thing. I watched the previous yeah. game. So they they played Chicago this week. Played Miami right before the Wolves did. The Sixers right before the uh, right before the Wolves did, and the Lakers right before the Wolves did. So I watched those last three uh, Bulls games. They look good. I mean, I know they're the Bulls, and it's this, but Levine's out, and right. Kobe White and Patrick Williams are look. having a having a good time. Kobe right. White, man, he looks like Levine. I know Kobe White does look good. Yeah, that, which is whatever. That's that's. Uh, but still, yeah, yeah you're right. I mean, it, that is, uh, and Caruso is Caruso. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't you think like. I've been kind of doing the Nikhil Alexander Walker Caruso comp. I mean, that's kind of good. I do. I I think, uh, especially given that, um, I think the difference is is that Caruso has established a reliability that Nah doesn't quite have yet. Where and what and element of his game? I I think that Nah is a confidence player. When he's not confident in of himself, he makes mistakes, um, and. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm one of the people who. No, we're just early, going off of a, the first bad. One of the people who said early that I think Nas having a better overall season than Jaden thus far. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I'm oh, fully, Nas been awesome. Yeah, I'm fully on on that bandwagon. But I will also say that if you ask me who I'd rather have today, I would take Caruso over Nas simply because Caruso doesn't quit. I mean, not that Nas does, but Caruso. Caruso has a he's an established A1 defender. Uh, I think he's one of the three or four best on ball defenders in the NBA. Yeah. And and then and Nikhil's what like 12? That's what I would say. I'd say yeah. top dozen. I think I may have even said that last night. Um I you know, and I this is just devil's advocate. I I think uh Nikhil has a lot more offensive game that's what's been sticking out to me this year it's just like the little extra game by game pretty much um that i'm seeing from Nikhil offensively as a playmaker and that's right. that was part of my reason for the caruso comp is like they caruso kind of plays point guard a lot when you're like right you look at him and you're like ah, that's not really a point guard and i feel the same way with uh Nikhil. but Nikhil, i think is doing more and more of that little playmaking stuff keeping his offensive game simple but like slowly adding uh to the size of his bag over the the course i think that's true i would without looking at the stats i'm strictly eye test on this i think caruso's e field goal percentage is probably right there with With nikhil yeah Yeah. i mean i mean i I think that uh he doesn't shoot from long range nearly as much and um i think one area where na has really improved yeah, is, wow. Is, Caruso 68-2 effective field goal percentage. Yeah. He's he's made he's made 53% of his non-corner threes. <laughs> 47% from three overall. So yeah, that that's what's that's what's uh yeah. fueling. That. I mean, that's one thing. And then the other thing is he is really good on defense. And so where Na has approached Caruso level, in my opinion, is this kind of vague bin called team defense that involves how seamlessly you switch, mm-hmm. how well you just get kicked out or kick somebody else out when your man is different, 
how you uh, match up and transition, how you go weak side to protect the baseline on a, a weak side cut. You know, all these little things that don't really have a category that Na is doing extremely well, which yeah. Caruso has always done well. Mm-hmm. But I would say that where Na's taking steps, the reason he's in the top dozen wing defenders, in my opinion now, is because not only is he good on ball, and not only is he good in switch partners and two-man game, but he's good in the five-man yeah. court vision desire to play team defense. And, um, you know, I just think that, um, you know, it, when he isn't that, um, it shows. And um, I, th- I think he was a victim of foul trouble last night a little bit, or at least the tenor of the game. Yeah. And getting back to your original point about um, Maxi getting by people, one of the things that happens is that if beat gets bigs in foul trouble, so if Maxi does beat his man, odds are the bigs are not going to challenge him. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, there there was a lot of that like late. Gobert was quarter. not having yeah. rim protection on his agenda when he got three or four fouls. Today's show is brought to you by Doer Jeans, D U E R, and I'm excited to tell you about Doer Jeans because it's the type of clothing that I wear, professional and polished but comfortable. I'm excited to wear my Dewar Performance Denim jeans to the next Wolves home game. And I really think you're going to want your own pair of Dewar jeans because I just promise you they become that pair of pants that when you open the drawer, you choose them over and over again because you love the way they feel. Dewar jeans are durable and flexible without sacrificing comfort or style. Plus, they're antibacterial, which equals less washing. They have temperature-regulating fabrics for all-day and all-weather comfort. And the all-weather performance denim is wind and water repellent, while the fireside denim is fleece-lined and great for staying warm. Dewar clothes are sustainably crafted to last a long time, so I know they'll be a staple in my closet for years to come. Dewar jeans are one of a kind. They'll make a great holiday gift for you and for those on your holiday list. You can check out Dewar's flagship stores in LA or Denver or online at shopdoer.com slash Dane Moore. Right now, my listeners can get 15% off site-wide when you use my special URL, shopduer.com slash Dane Moore. You will want to take advantage of this because Dewar never goes on sale. Don't wait to get 15% off. Go now to shopdoer.com slash Dane Moore. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's uh, move over to a, a topic that you wrote about in your your column the day before the the Sixers game, which has obviously been just a a trend that we've all been noticing uh, with the Wolves, the slow starts versus the the second half dominance. Yeah. Um, they did actually start stronger against. Uh, it was the, a priority. Right? Yeah, yeah, clearly because it's this really is a made, right. Um, so maybe you could lay out for maybe some people haven't looked up the numbers and stuff, how stark it is, how different um, yeah. the, the second half has been versus well, the first the, half of the Wolves. In the first quarter, the Wolves defense ranked 17th in efficiency. I think they're 112.4 points per 100 possessions. Okay. Uh, they improved that only to 112.2 points, two-tenths of a point per 100 possessions in the second quarter. But by the second quarter, apparently, either it's second units or offenses getting in a flow, they go from 17th in the NBA to 10th in the NBA in defensive efficiency. But then you get to the third quarter. This team is in before the Sixers game, which I think changed things a bit, but they were at 98-5 or 98-98-4. Uh, Mm-hmm. And the next best team was the Sixers at 104 or 105.9. That is seven and a half points right. per 100 possessions. Not better than the rest of the league, better than the next best team. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, that is insane. And And I think their net rating in the third quarter is like 15 or something. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And so, uh, and then to put the cherry on top, and you're going to have to show me sometime how to get quarter ratings from cleaning the glass because I could not figure out how to get fourth quarter numbers from cleaning the glass. But anyway, the Wolves' fourth quarter, which uh, because well, it was well, NBA, let's look at look at I just I just pulled it up here. So okay. this is this is after the the Sixers game. Okay. The Wolves. Third so they quarter. went up from ninety-eight-five to ninety-eight-seven. But to your point, the next best defense in the third quarter in the NBA is the Sixers at one hundred six-three, right. which and is for, still seven point six. It actually went up. That, yeah, that's. I mean, and and you know, not everybody gets or really cares about this number. The point, what this means is, teams are scoring less than a point per possession against the Wolves in third quarters. Which is nuts, because <laughs> like the, the a great defense, a really good defense is like one point one, and I know maybe that doesn't sound like that big, but that's a huge deal um, in an extrapolation. So, yeah, the, I mean, yeah, just plus seventeen, even after last night, plus seventeen point nine overall uh, for the Wolves in in, in third, the third quarters quarter. is so, is just a massive shift. And the the way for people who don't care about analytics to look at it is. Uh, this hundred where we talk about per hundred possessions, mm-hmm. hundred possessions is the is the closest definition of what a game would be. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So if the Wolves played like they play in the third quarter, yeah. they would win games by 72 points. Because <laughs> they're 18 points better yeah. than the opposition in the third quarter. And right. some of that, they're, they're seven and a half points better. Strictly on defense, if all things are equal, mm-hmm. on defense, if the Wolves played throughout the game like they play in the third quarter and the offensive efficiencies – well, they can't be, obviously, because mm-hmm. the Wolves are playing defense against them. But the point is, 7.6, you're talking about a 30-point win because of their defense. Yeah. So the question here is why? Like, why the difference? Because as good yeah. as those numbers are in the third quarter, they're just about as bad in the first quarter um, mm-hmm. for the for the Wolves. And again, like we said, point of emphasis clearly for the Sixers game, and they came out stronger there. I'm just curious why this is happening or why you think that's happening. Well, I mean, this is a column I mean to write sometime, but I would imagine maybe John Krasinski will beat me to it or somebody else will beat me to it. Uh, I've got this Christmas holiday that I'm kind of enforced with MinPost. But when we, it's halftime, we're going to get our Pepsis or whatever in the media room, right? Uh, and we walk up the ramp and oftentimes we can't get in the media room because there were four assistant coaches, all of them defensive coaches yep. clustered around a computer screen, talking fairly urgently to each other about different things going on. It is defensively in, in particular in, yep. in strictly. I mean, Elston Turner is in that mix right in the middle of it. There are four assistant coaches immediately saying, how are we getting hurt is obvious. And what are we doing well Yeah. on the computer? And I'm sure one of these guys during the game, he's not watching the game so much as he's watching yeah. replays of things that have stood out to him. I think it's and, Max, Max Lefevre, who was the summer league coach, I think. Okay. So just for people who, yeah, you you know the the diehard Wolves fans know who that is because they watch summer league, right? But so, and maybe those guys, if if in fact appearance is reality, those guys are earning their money because mm-hmm. players are getting instructed on what is or isn't working mm-hmm. in that locker room, and Finch obviously deserves part of this credit. But yeah, whatever's happening, they are prepped to go out and kick ass on defense in the second half. Because even in the fourth quarter, the Wolves have the best defense in the fourth quarter, too, even with the garbage time. Who knows what that will wind up? Yeah. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's obviously the difference is not as great. but um, It's still 107.5, and the second-best team is 110, and the average team is 114. I mean, it's still they're awesome in the fourth quarters defensively. So it's just – it's and 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 I think some of it is that um, Mike Conley plays a lot more in the second half than he plays in the first half, uh, and Mike Conley is a is an underrated defensive gem, um, strictly because he knows all the little things about how not to get beat. I think he is wearing down. You know, by the way, I think that he's turning the ball over a lot more in his defense has a few more flaws than it did before. But, um, mm. 
you know, it's yep, all yep. relative. You know, you want your 36. I just think his minutes were like super managed <laughs> last night because of the back to back. Like, yeah, exactly. But uh, in general, though, I just think that he's beginning to wear it out. Um, as to be expected. I mean, it is one of the things. That's why uh, I'm not going to bang the drum for J-Mac. I did that a part or two ago, and you were absolutely right. That's not going to happen. Uh, so there's no point in talking about it. But I do think that the quality of their point guard play, Nah is still much better on defense than he is on offense. And he, while he has been very good, especially in two-man games with Nas on offense, uh, I think that there's there's meat on the bone, as they say, <laughs> on, the, on that. So, okay, so we, we talked about I, I, that great anecdote uh, to, to bring up about the, the coaches and the defense for, for the second half. I'm stealing this from Chase, but he, he brought it up uh, when we were talking. I think he's kind of asking some of the players after the last home game uh, about this. The, the first quarter offense, right? Right. It ha hasn't been there. The different things thrown at him, right, right. And I thought that was a great theory by Jace is they come out into a game and don't know how the opponent is going to be mashing up with them, which leads them to kind of for the first four or five minutes of the first quarter, kind of just jab, you know? Yeah. Right. And, and, and figure out, you know, where are we, what are we, what are we doing here? I think it, he brought that up after the, the Miami game. And, and I thought a perfect example of that was, the Heat started Kevin Love in in that game against the Wolves, and I don't think the Wolves were expecting that. And I'm half going off of Jim Pete was saying, you mm -hmm. know, in the entrance to the game that Carl was going to guard Jimmy. I know, and, it's just crazy. And, and then, well, but he might have had Love not started and they yeah, started Richardson. I, I or, wouldn't recommend that. But well, that's I, I mean. <laughs> but, no, I know, I know. I know. That's not what we're talking about. I talking, so I, I, just, I just came out and I'm like, okay, Kevin Love's in the game. You have one of, if not the best pick and roll centers in the league. Like they're just going to hit that right away, right? Like they're going to just try and play uh, love off the floor, and eventually they did. But again, they jabbed for four or five minutes before. Do you remember that when they just yep. ran yep. just two empty corners right away um, for, with with Conley and Gobert? So I, I think that's just an example to be like they don't know exactly how what the the opponent's plan is to match up with them they to match up with their offense and they kind of figure it out through the first half. So then in the second half, when they come back out, like you kind of know Kevin Love is going to start or right. so-and-so is going to be on Ant or Conley or whatever. And I think that given this funky roster construction, I think that is an important element, you know, to, to this. Right. Team. And I think another factor is that Jaden is, I think, grows into the game some on defense and the person who really is a prisoner of his attitude but it can be a great thing it can be a bad thing is Ann and Ann has been much more consistent on defense game to game this year but there's still gaps and they're often in the beginning of games in the first quarter uh, especially where Ann hasn't really gotten juiced to play defense. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I just feel like there are times when just compare Ant 
late in the third quarter or early in the fourth quarter or whenever he's in the meat of the game to his first three or four touches Mm -hmm. of a game. The intensity is just very different. Mm -hmm. And I think that also translates into defense. I think that McDaniel's health and maybe disinclination to get in foul trouble and Ant's time to warm up are two other factors that may play a role in the in the defense. I, I would agree with that. I, I think I'm trying to think about it as like, okay, how do you set the tone more in the first quarter? Right. Yeah. Like what what are and 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 I think again that the the Gobert and Love thing, that's not an option every single game. But what you want to do is you want to like smash one of the opponent's eggs right there and it's right, like right, this right. plan we came out with smash it's done you know they're not going right. to run that again for the next 45 minutes and i wonder just this is more broadly and not opponent specific but can you smash the opponent's plan against carl in the first five minutes of the game mm-hmm. like i would like to see that and and, carl, and, and this is by no means because like, carl is a matchup nightmare Exactly. It's a compliment, you know, right, right. and, and, and I wonder if well, there's multiple ways to do that. Right. And and Carl has been doing that kind of did in the Harris matchup last game by, you know, taking guys off the dribble, trying to draw fouls and get, and get to the basket. And and that's worked. That's oftentimes smashed that plan. Right. And they, right. the team needs to adjust and guard him differently. I wonder if a more consistent and bankable one is like, Again, rather than that run in the first play of the game to be a Rudy Gobert duck in, can it be a double pin down for Carl? And we're just saying, hey, in the first four possessions, Carl's taken two threes out of these mm-hmm. four. We are we are scripting actions on every one of those possessions where our first read here is a Carl three. And and I think by setting that tone against the opponent too, and if he hits one or two of those in the first couple possessions, you like the opponent needs to react, right? Right. And and accommodate accordingly. Plus, I think if Carl does hit those first two in the first couple of minutes, he goes, you know, two for three from deep. I think it's pretty likely that he shoots six, seven more for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm saying? And I just think the the volume is is just is not there. And it isn't to say that Carl's isn't right. playing great offensively. Right. It's like, man, that might be a, another level. That right. not only gets Carl better, but addresses one of the quote unquote weaknesses of this really good team, which is first quarter offense. And and as an adjunct to that, one of the things that the Wolves did for a while, at least three or four games in a row, and it was cool, is the high pick and roll where Conley does that step back three. Yeah. Why not run that? And they did run that like in the first half dozen plays for a few games in a row. And mm-hmm. Conley is... I mean, you can bank on 40% from that dude from three. Mm-hmm. And so if you mix in those two things, yeah. uh, you know, Cat from deep and Conley from deep, you got two 40% shooters out there. And, you know, I, I think that I think that what Finch prefers is the bully ball template just to put that seed Mm-hmm. in the mind of opponents. Hey, you know, yeah. we're we're big, we're coming at you and we're going to to squash you. But there are other ways if if all of a sudden it's like him being, you know, he's a big dude instead he's he's coaxing you to death, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if if the Wolves are suddenly 
bombing you to death from outside, despite the fact that they have, you know, three centers in their first six guys in the rotation, then, you know, that's, that's unique. And, and that's hard to game plan against because if you put smalls on the floor to try to get the cat and Conley, well, then you have those original plays you've scripted, you know, before you get Rudy on a roll or you get, you know, Ant driving weak side or whatever. Um, so I agree that the first halves can be better. Um, I don't think we'd be paying as much attention to it if the second halves were yeah. just so glorious. No. Right, right. And and you're right. That is the the frame in which we're, we're looking at this through. But, you know, as I think we're all want to do after right. a loss, you start going. How okay, can the like, perfect be better? Yeah, yeah, right, right. And and so I just like I, I pulled this up, I have it up on the screen. Like the the last five games, three point volume uh for for this team. I was looking, I'm like just looking at Carl mostly. I was like, you know, yeah. I cut because part of me was like, is he not shooting well? It's like, no, over the last five games, he's shooting 40% from three, but it's just six of fifteen. And I'm like, okay, how does that compare to everyone else? You know, yeah, over the last exactly. five games, Nas Reed 16 for 35, 46%. Anthony Edwards, 11 for 28 from three, 39%. Over the last five games, Mike Conley, 12 for 23 from three, 52%. Troy Brown Jr. has taken more threes than Carl over the last five yeah. games. In 95 fewer minutes, 7 of 18 from three, 39%. Carl, 6 of 15, 40%. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, 7 of 15, 47%. Jaden McDaniels, 5 of 12, 42%. One boy, that uh, just is great awesome, shooting. Great shooting over the over the last five games. So maybe that's like, you know, jarring this a little bit differently. But man, I'm just looking at it. I'm like, okay, so Carl's sixth on the team in three point makes. But you know what, Cat would counter. Yeah, check check those free right. throws. Yeah, that's true. He has he has 28 in in those five games. Next most is Ant with 20, and nobody else has double digits. That's it. That's and he, it. he's also nine better in terms of free throw mix. Mm -hmm. He's shooting 90% from the line. It right. has been all year. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, it's almost enough to counter the three point bonus. Right. I mean, if you can shoot 90% from the line and get, you know, as it turns out, Cat is also shooting almost like 56, 57% from two, 40% right. from three. He's a 50, 40, 90 guy. Um, but and, and I, I don't want, you don't want to disrupt all that, and, right? And, like, and I don't yeah. want to, I mean, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate as much as anything. I agree with you. You and I have, you know, we've got our, our gold cards for cat needs to shoot more threes. You know, it's been at least eight years in a row now. I mean, <laughs> that we've renewed our membership. Yeah. Um, Finch too. He's a subscriber. Well, Finch, no, he's about a three year man. Yeah, but he's a subscriber. <laughs> he is now, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I guess anyway, the question is, how do you get Carl to be a subscriber to that? Or maybe, or maybe tell him that he needs to drive more. <laughs> so do the opposite. I mean, well, I mean, what Cat likes to do is if you say you're really good at this, you should do that more often instead of this. Mm -hmm. They'll say, well, no, I'm really good at this too. Let me show yeah. you. You know, I mean, it, it is the fact that he can do everything. Right. Is is the thing that we have to remember, and he keeps on trying to prove the point. And again, 
and he has been doing it too. Like, well, none of this is to, to that's take the away. Thing. I mean, Cat, like I said, the, the idea that Cat is the most level headed player on the floor last night playing against Joel Embiid and actually having one play where he went through Embiid, right. put the bucket in, and then gave a flex very casually after he got the foul, drained the foul, and trotted back up the court. I mean, there was a time when, you know, we would have been throwing confetti if that would have happened, you know? So Cat is, uh, I, you know, I probably rip Cat more than, you know, certainly in public. A lot of people rip him more privately. But I think I probably rip Cat in public more than anybody. And I'm here to say that one of the main reasons this team is 20 and 6 is because he has found a space that is good in his head, is good on the court, and is good in the locker room. And that trifecta, I didn't think was possible. Well, I think let's grab another break here. I think that's a good way to segue into talking a little bit about the Miami game, too, because Carl fueled that uh, himself, too, by finding the right ways to be uh, effective offensively while also maintaining his head uh, against Jimmy Butler. So, Take a break and be back with Britt. All right, Britt, let's talk about that uh, that Miami game. Um, obviously, the the fourth quarter is is what is what stands out uh, in that as as much as anything. It was kind. It, it was the pattern of rough first half into you know just blitzing the opponent and shutting them down. I mean, I think they had right. the Heat had sixteen. Just points basically the taking the legs out, turning their legs into jelly, turning their hearts into dust. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then it was pretty dusty in the fourth quarter and they just oh. kept going, you know? Uh, so I, I've already talked about it a, a little bit, but I'm just, uh, I guess maybe specific to, to Carl in, in that fourth quarter, which is interesting. He only had two points in that fourth quarter, but it felt like he was driving it because he, because it was with Jimmy guarding him. Um, he scored on him, which I think in fueled some fire into the group. He had that drop-off pass to Ant for the dunk. He right. grabbed the offensive rebound over Jimmy's head through the lob right. uh, to, to Rudy there. Um, yeah, it's that was... Well, to, to overstate the dynamic, it's not my preferred dynamic, but it is one of the reasons people are talking about this in particular, is that in the crudest possible terms, Jimmy called Cat a pussy and thought that Cat was a wimp, not able to be tough enough, rough enough, committed enough to play basketball the way Jimmy Butler likes to play basketball. Mm -hmm. The other night, Jimmy tried to sell a foul, which was a bullshit move on a a play, you know, it was in Beatish, to uh, have a play where Cat just nudged him with his shoulder to create a little space, who does that more often in, in the NBA right now than Jimmy Butler? Yeah, right. And Butler tried to sell it, and Cat canned the shot. First of all, Cat had the wherewithal to think about nudging Butler off the ball. Secondly, had the poise enough to hit the shot. And then, enlivened by that, goes back down the court, comes back in the next possession, gets the rebound over Butler, and instead of running over Butler, which is what he would have done nine out of nine times previously, probably getting an offensive foul off that offensive rebound, instead 
he throws a little six-foot lob to go bear for an easy ducket. That is self-possession. And what that is, is the old cat would have been in his bedroom dreaming up these types of scenarios by which to embarrass Jimmy Butler. And instead, Cat just takes the flow of the game and does exactly what old Cat would have dreamed about doing but never be able to do because he was too busy dreaming. I mean, that's the beauty of this, is that Cat is becoming somebody who can tap into things that he wasn't able to get into before because he was in his own way. And that that's that's one of the reasons they're 20 and 6. Dreams do come true. Exactly. Eventually. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, you know, we're doing this thing like so day to day, right? Right. Uh, I mean, I know you write a, a weekly column, but, you know, you, we get in this um, pattern of, okay. Yeah, you can get this. narrow, you can get tunnel vision and narrow vision. Yeah, right? or just, just a little hyper fixated on the most recent thing, you know, and... Well, what? somebody who does like 14 podcasts a week, I think you probably do that. Yes, this is the Hyperfixation <laughs> Wolves podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company. Uh, but it, it's, I think in some of that recency stuff, I, we, whatever, um, have missed on the consistency of Cat. And I've done a lot of like, man, the consistency of Rudy's defense and, and the impact of, of, of that because it's like it's this one specific thing particularly from rudy in a fourth court like that is just reliable right. and you're like you know i'm lauding that consistency and carl's because carl has a more diverse game um on both sides of the floor obviously than rudy does it's not a it's harder to focus in on a specific positive you know and what i we i think need to do is go you know open up the umbrella and be like look at the last month you know, and me, you and John were talking about that on on Media Row. And I think you said you're like, is this the best month of Kat's career? And right. I and what did I, I was like, what? You know, like that that, that was my initial reaction. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, one, this is the most winning month of Carl's career. So that in and of itself, like puts it into the top five. Right. You know, and then and then I'm like, no, you, you guys were right. Like this probably is the best month of basketball of, of Carl's career, not just because they're winning, but because of the multitude of different ways that he's impacted. And that's the thing. It's the, it, Cat used to have tremendous highs and was dogged by some lows, mm -hmm. but also in addition to having highs and lows with his main skill sets, had a pretty consistent mediocrity or sub-mediocrity with some other things. Yeah. And what he's done is he shored up his weaknesses and sustained his strengths, but not so that he's hitting peaks. Cat clearly, you properly pointed out when we were having this discussion that during the, the time when Ryan had the team and Cat had the green light, that Once he, he was took a, over for Tibbs, yeah. He was a terror in terms of his scoring. He was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And he's not that now, but part of that is circumstance. And part of that is also mm -hmm. um, that he is doing other things. His 
his uh, uh, fancy, pantsy passing, for example, the slingshot passes, the over-the-shoulder deeks, all this other stuff. He doesn't do that nearly as much as he was doing before. Um, The defensive awareness and, you know, the idea of I go after 20, 80 balls, you know, because I can get them 25% of the time or whatever, you know, that kind of stupidity. That's not there anymore. He, He knows when he can chase something down or at least make an impact. He has a little bit more instinct for the game. I do think the structure that he's been forced to adhere to because power forward is a new beast to him has been helpful to him. But I think that what I, the reason I think this has been Cat's best month now, probably best six weeks of his career is because I don't see glaring weaknesses out of the guy. And Mm -hmm. I see um, maybe he's not getting 10 off the high board anymore, but he's getting a lot of eight eights and eight nines. Mm-hmm. And and very rarely does he belly flop. And so that is, again, that's preferable. Um, he doesn't give you the highlights perhaps as often as he used to, but he is more valuable than ever. I, uh, I think what makes it his best offensive month is, the, or not offensive month, his best month is the inclusion of the defense. Absolutely. And, and, and that, if we are comparing uh, to that 2018-19 season when Cat was phenomenal, it was the year yeah, that the high offense wall. was... Yeah. No, 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 no. 2018-19. This was the year he did Oh, you it, mean the great offense, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the great offense. terrible on defense, right? Yeah, he, he was. And I think that was actually part of the reason why uh, Gobert, ironically, got All-NBA that season, and it was the $35 million. Yeah, that's difference. what I would have voted for Gobert. I remember that. I yeah. Remember I, I, for a while there, I, I, I might have had a vote and cost Cat millions of dollars. <laughs> that I wasn't have that, be fun. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, I just remember, like, writing an article about it and, like, actually looking at, is this the best stretch of Carl's career? And this was right. you know, in, in 2019, I came to, to that answer being yes. But I was totally or largely dismissing defense. And I think part of that, that his defense wasn't great then. And part of that was because back then I remember I would always say like the hope is that Carl can get to mediocrity defensively. Can he be a 50th percentile center? And so, you know, like back then that year, whatever, he was like 40th percentile and you're like, okay, you know, it's like, there's not that much gap between what I perceive his defensive ceiling to be. And Do when you remember why Finch, Invoke the high wall. I'm sorry, I, I'm sure no, I interrupted you of, when you're, you're trying to thought. No, because of he wanted to activate Carl defensively. He, the but he, he used the word protect. Mm-hmm. We need to protect Carl on defense. Yeah. And, and it's I the think same what, he, thing what they did in Denver with Jokic. And you know? what, what they meant by that was uh, we don't want to put him in situations where he's terrible, which is drop coverage. Yeah. Um, because, you know, his feet are too big and his awareness is, you know, not great. His quick decision making is not yeah. great. Um, and now, quite frankly, I think it can be said that his comfort level was was he always was, I think, painfully aware that he mm-hmm. wasn't measuring up as a drop coverage center. Well, and and so that actually wasn't you cutting me off. That's a great segue into what I was gonna say is I was before the Miami game, I was just thinking about this. I'm like, am I underrating 
you know, Carl's defense. And I just like ripped through, a, you know, a bunch of the the clips. And I looked up the the numbers specifically um, of him defending and pick and roll. And, you know, this is a couple of days old, but of the players who have defended over 100 pick and rolls this season, Carl was second best in the NBA. It was Evan Mobley uh, at number <laughs> one with 0.58. Uh, against that, Carl Anthony Towns, number two, 0.698. Number three, Max Struess, 0.736. Jorian Finney-Smith, 0.746. Number five was Jared Allen, 0.760. Wow. And, um, and, and it's not just looking at those numbers. I was also watching the clips of it, and it is broadly in drop coverage in those situations when he's defending a, a pick and roll that way as the, the one defending the big. But the difference is the depth of the drop, I think, is is he's it's not all the way. He's not playing up to touch. He's not doing all that, but it's not a deep drop. And I thought that was always a flaw in Tibbs' strategy with him, which yep. was like daring the guy to get a head full of steam to come into Carl, who wasn't that big of a wall. He wasn't he wasn't Embiid at the rim. He wasn't Rudy at the rim, right? Absolutely. And right. and was asking for that. So I think there's this um there's like a he's not navigating that space well and through the coaching and finding you know what is my distance how do i do these and also it's not all that often because so many of carl's minutes are on the floor with rudy so you really if you're an opponent you really need to be like okay gobert's off the floor towns is off the floor we are shifting our entire offense to attack this to be able to do it but teams are just occasionally you know going at him and pick and roll it's not like a it doesn't feel like a key part of their offensive game plan to to attack him. And in that somewhat more limited volume or someone less frequent um, attacking of him, he's just doing a great job. And right. the numbers the numbers bear that out. And you know, part of that is being boosted by having four really great defenders around him and, at, and at, at all times. That's a, that's a big factor from now compared to that 2019 time. And I think a lot of that is. Rudy has set a standard mm -hmm. for what the people around him need to do yeah. that Cat benefits from when Rudy is off the floor. Sure. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's important. Um, and I, I just think that also verticality, you talk about not deep as much of a deep drop. Yeah. Uh, what that means is it would be silly for Cat to try to exercise great verticality when he, chances are, is, his arms would wind up getting entangled with the rim. Mm -hmm. um, if he's like four feet out and he gets vertical, yeah. he has learned. I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, but he's not coming down on people. He's coming straight up. And sometimes he gets whistled anyway because he's not super athletic. But it's still, it's, it's a much better, I don't feel like cats committing physically dumb fouls yeah well it's, yeah. you are blocking fouls like you know with you know your feet aren't set you're getting right. called for the block because you're you're hip checking the guy it's more like he's still getting a lot of fouls but it's more in the like under the basket situation the guy's guarding is pumped gone into him and and then he comes down and, and fouls on him there the yeah i think it was more problematic or maybe more maddening um when he was getting the blocking fouls and those are kind of like the fouls he was getting all the time setting offensive screens, you know, those sort of things. He's largely taken 
those two elements of that he was a prolific fowler in, it's going down. I, I right. at least to my right. to my eye. To no, I agree. We can measure that exactly, but um, I, I think that's a that's a huge that's a huge win, and it's crazy the fouling is still as high as it is. Right. Um, but you know, maybe that's an indication that it will get better over time as he gets better at just staying straight up and not falling under the basket. And and what I want to see, and I'm not trying to telescope too far. I'm enjoying day by day, week by week, month by month here. But will he be able to keep his poise and the team be able to do what they do in the crucible of the playoffs? I think that is going to be extremely important in terms of whether or not he's going to have a great year next year and the year after and the year after, whether he's going to earn this $60 million a year that he's going to be getting paid is going to be whether or not this team develops a nuggets like ability to coalesce even more as the conditions get tighter. And there are, you know, there are national people around the league who are paying attention to the wolves all of a sudden Mm-hmm. who are beginning to think, hey, you know, I mean, we used to mock these guys. Uh, something has happened here. Right. And um, we've watched them enough. I don't think I, I can get there yet, but I'm I'm enjoying the hell out of this, and I am feeling protective about their sustainability simply because it's so enjoyable. But there is a part of me that wants to see a four-game losing streak and what happens. No, I, I think what you want to see is a crucible. Like you said, the yeah, crucible right, of right. the playoffs. And I would say maybe they're in the crucible right now. Well, they, like, they kind of are. I mean, they're in that that's 16 what I'm games. Yeah, and they're, so, they're, what are they, four and two or three and two? Yeah, like, so I think it's, you know, let's, let's check back in a week. That right. will have been about a seven-game series of, right. you know, a really difficult stretch where they've, broadly played really well you know they they lose the pelicans game and they lose the sixers game but not in like a devastating fashion and string three wins in between and yeah, so exactly. the thing is is yeah. if if they finish 500 if they're uh, uh eight and eight on the 16 game streak as of july uh, january 11th they will be 25 and 12 with the tough part of their schedule behind them yeah uh and and that's kind of, to me, the ratification that I'm looking for. I'm looking for. Um, so so the question is, all right, like, and I'm with you. Eight and eight would be great. And you'd be 25 and 12. And that's awesome. Like, if they go 11 and five in this 16 game stretch of playing all above 500 teams, 11 of the 16 on the road. Then they're 28 and uh, nine. Sure. But do you relent? on some of the concern you have about the crucible of the playoffs. Some of given- it, yes, yes, some yeah, of it I, I do. Okay. On the other hand, all it will take is yeah. a, a 2-1 deficit, uh, you know, in the first three games of the first round yeah. to, to bring all those questions back, you know. Right, but the, the reality of the situation is we're not there and we won't be there Absolutely. until on, on Sunday morning, Christmas Eve. And then I'm going to take a couple days off until after the Thunder game, which is on the 26th. So there won't be a, there won't be a show on the 25th, uh, the 26th, the next one will be on uh, the 27th. And then, uh, and then you and I will go have that written down somewhere, but we'll go, I think Thursday 
uh, next week too, if that, if that, that works yeah, for you. So fine. Yeah. we'll, we'll hit another one. I mean, Christmas Eve, Christmas day is kind of over the weekend here. So we will do a, a Christmas Eve show, but then uh, none, none for a couple of days, but uh, we'll be back uh, rolling with it uh, next week too. As long as that's cool with you to go. Sure, that sounds good. And we can, I we can a, talk uh, about your great trades article. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you might as well take advantage of, you know, being covering the team for 34 of its 35 years of existence. Yeah. And so, you know, and also the fact that uh, I think most of the MinPost staff will get, uh, you know, a righteous week and a half off, I think, over the holidays or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I needed to write something that, that could sustain that period of time. Uh, you could read it, you know, like on the tomorrow or you could read it on New Year's Day or whatever. So what I decided to write was uh, the five best and the five worst trades in Tim Wool's franchise history. and. Uh, it's very bleacher report of you, Britt. <laughs> well, I, I know that's an insult whatever, without even reading bleacher report. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's the hot headline, you know. I'm actually no, I'll uh I'll check that out. We'll probably talk about it. We'll probably talk about it. It's gonna be some go. like obscure trade from ninety-six that I this one from ninety-five. Yeah, exactly. I, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, well, Britt has another column uh, up off of that Miami game and just kind of this team of late on uh, on Min Post. Uh, you can you can find that on his Twitter feed or at uh, MinPost.com. Uh, we'll look for that that trade article here coming up soon. Yeah, appreciate you doing it. Hey, my pleasure. Um, all right. Until uh, Friday morning, afternoon uh, with Kyle Tige after the Lakers game. He's Britt. I'm Dane. I'm feeling better, I hope it never stops, yeah Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah